Good afternoon. It is Friday, December 9th, 2011. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it is my pleasure today to introduce the authors of a book called Get Ahead by Going Abroad, A Woman's Guide to Fast-Track Career Success. Perry Yateman and Stacy Burden. Did I pronounce that right, Stacy? It's actually Burdan. I like to say I've Burdan, never been a Burdan. Okay, Bye. great. Well, I should have asked you that before we got on the air, but... Uh, Nevertheless, now everyone will remember it. <laughs> All right, great. Well, uh, Perry, why don't you start and let, let's get just a little bit of background on you guys and um, what uh, brought you together, first of all, and and a little bit about your professional uh, backgrounds and a little bit about your personal lives. Okay. Um, yes, well, as you said, my name is uh, Perry Yateman, and despite the name, I am indeed a girl. Uh, that's one of the first things that most people get confused about when they get emails from me, and I always laugh that I know that people don't actually know me when they call my office and tell my administrator, no, no, Mr. Yateman and I know each other quite well. Um, <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was particularly it. helpful in Asia when they were really expecting a man to get off the plane, and I had to prove with my passport that I was indeed the person that the uh, driver had been sent to fetch. But at any rate, um, I am about 25 years into my career, and I have spent all of that time in what I think of as using corporate affairs disciplines, which is media relations, government relations, philanthropy, uh, public policy, all of those kinds of of, um, skills in order to drive business and social outcomes. Um, So that's really what I do. Um, Of the 25 years I've spent about... Uh, A little less than 15 in the agency world. Uh, I worked literally all over the world. I was based first in uh, Singapore, uh, where I did 26 countries, Japan to Australia plus the Middle East. Then I went to uh, Russia, uh, and from Russia I did a lot of the ex-Soviet Union. And then I went to London, and in London I did work in uh, Latin America, um, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and a bit of Africa. Um, so it was uh, it was a fabulous. I had a fabulous experience uh, on the agency side, and then yeah, our I'm largest curious. client. I'm curious uh, yeah. as to how Latin America fits into the London region, but. Well, it, it just so happened that this was a, uh, a UK-based company, and they had put all their region presidents uh, in London or in uh, the Netherlands. And so the Latin American head happened to have been based in London. And because I was based in London, I was introduced to him, and then he hired me to handle Latin America with him from London. So um, any rate, I, I did that. Uh, then that uh, our largest client hired me in-house. Uh, that's where Stacy and I actually met. Um, Stacy was originally with uh, the consulting firm that I had spent the bulk of my time with overseas, and we were kind of having parallel tracks, if you will. Stacy was a high flyer in that agency, and she went out to Hong Kong, and she was kind of having her career, um, and I was having my career. And when we both landed on the East Coast, and I had gone in-house, my old boss from Singapore at that point um, was actually a, a close colleague of Stacy's um, in the New York office. And so when I went to hire my agency, he recommended Stacy as being uh, probably the best lead for me in terms of the agency partner for my corporation. Uh, we met that way. Uh, we you know, got along great. I found out what a phenomenal professional in person she was. Um, and so then I ultimately hired her into the same corporation I was working for. <laughs> and, mm. and then when I left that corporation and, and, and moved out, uh, Stacy stayed. And, uh, and then uh, she and I decided to write the book together after she then left that corporation. So we've kind of been uh, paralleling, um, you know, kind of throughout. Um, personally, I am, um, I don't mind saying it, I'm, I'm, I'm 47 and I am married and I have two uh, kids, a stepson who's 22 and a daughter who is seven and a half. Um, oh, and wow. we recently located to uh, the Washington area uh, and I absolutely love it because we live on the water in Annapolis and uh, it was kind of my husband's life dream to do that because he is a, he's a big time uh, sailor. And uh, and so I right now for craft, uh, my to-do list uh, this year is uh, reduce world hunger, fight obesity, uh, and redesign agriculture. Um, so oh, wow. I figure I'll get that all done soon, and then what am I going to do next? But, um, yeah, gosh, anyway, that's, and, uh, <laughs> and take time off for the holidays. <laughs> exactly. 
So that's probably even more than, sorry, I was going to say, that's probably even more than you wanted to know, but that kind of covers the how did I get here. No, uh, that is wonderful, and that's precisely what I wanted to know. You know, we at, at the Executive Girlfriends Group, one of the things that distinguishes us from other women's organizations is typically you'll have organizations that are, you know, very much for the professional and they only deal with professional issues or you'll have, you know, groups that uh, coalesce uh, along lines of whatever your personal interests are. But we believe that the, you are the whole person that you are. And Cecilia is an example who's on the phone is is just an amazing musician and songwriter. In addition, uh, you know, to having founded a company and and uh, you know, we all have stories and and those stories make us who we are. So thank you so much for sharing that, Perry. So Stacy, you're up. All right. Well. I spent about, um, I guess, it's been about 20 years kind of in the kind of professional world, if you will. After I finished school in South Florida, I went to FAU, so I miss mm. those warm winters that you're experiencing right now. Um, and I went, m- picked up and moved to Washington D.C. without a job, um, despite all of my family staying in South Florida, wondering why I was leaving. You know, the perfect climate, all these fabulous things. I got offered this great resort job representing. Um, resorts across the Sun Belt for you know, golf and tennis um, resorts and organizations, um, I decided I really wanted a little bit more intellectual stimulation. So I kind of picked up after graduate school, went to D.C. without a job, um, you know, hit the pavement, used as much networking as I could, and landed a job within just a few weeks at Burson Marsteller, a big, large agency. And I worked there for 12 years. Started out in D.C., just kind of, you know, fast-tracking um, my career mainly I attribute it to a couple of things. One is um, my apartment just coincidentally was three blocks from the office, so I could get to work really quickly. When they needed something on the weekend, I was kind of always there, so really helped me raise my profile that I was there and working hard. Um, within a couple of years um, of being there, I really wanted to work internationally. So uh, uh, one of our colleagues from our Indian office, actually, the Mumbai office, came, gave a presentation, talked about um, what was... Um, you know, a great big booming market, and I've always been a huge India fan over China, actually. And so he said, we need somebody for six months who wants to go. And um, no one raised their hand but me. So I talked to him afterwards, and he actually said, well, no, actually, you're a single woman. We really don't. Um, we can't have someone like you. <laughs> so um, that got the ball rolling for me with our CEO saying, why would you want to go to Asia? What's, you know, kind of like what's wrong with you? Everything the world is here in the epicenter of Washington, D.C., um, but it really helped me because it got me noticed, and they realized that I was focused on the business end. I really saw where the growth was. So left for Hong Kong the day after I got married. Um, my husband left his job at WRI in D.C., followed me, reinvented himself as a travel writer in, in Asia, and worked in first year Hong Kong, then I spread out to northern Asia, then eventually throughout the entire region. Um, after three years left there, I wanted to stay or move on to another spot. Um, I probably would still be globetrotting today if it weren't for my very practical husband who wanted to go home because of family reasons and those kinds of things. But we took four months off and actually saw the rest of Asia that we had not seen. Came back um, to D.C., went back to the same agency, um, didn't quite have an apartment or a car, and I found out I was having twins. Because um, that's what life, life kind of does to you. And so, um, but jumped right back into work. And one of the most wonderful things I think about this agency was that despite having taken four months off because I was burnt out really from, from all the work and the travel to finding out that I, that I had twins, although they had recommended that I take on these big international jobs, um, once I landed back there, um, they promoted me. You know, and they continued to um, work with me, flex time and, you know, telecommuting and traveling um, to and from New York. So um, that was actually a, a wonderful, a wonderful time and really was a great, um, I think, a great example for other women within the agency. And about that time was when I did meet Barry, but I was traveling um, a lot um, and, you know, a couple of weeks, sometimes every month. And although my children um, were small and they... Um, and my husband came with me almost all the time. Sometimes it wasn't practical, a couple of weeks in Asia right. or something like that. So I was looking for the right opportunity um, to go in-house. You know, a lot of people say when you go from agency to the other side, it doesn't always work. And so Perry and I did have a great relationship. We um, we actually bonded, actually, over kind of the 9-11. Um, we were both on our way to Chicago when it happened, and so we spent a couple of days there. And those kinds of events, I think, can really, when you don't really know someone that well, really bring you together because you oh, spend yeah. these, these times together. 
um, we also had similar enough backgrounds that we appreciated each other's, um, you know, international scope. Um, so agreed to, to work with her. Um, it was a great time, although it was very short when I went to the to the to the other company. Um, and so I did stay on um, after Perry left, um, but I ended up taking on a lot more responsibility than I really had anticipated or wanted. I was trying to kind of um, not quite retire, but kind of go a little softer because of my kids' ages. Um, that didn't work. I ended up commuting long distances into New Jersey from Connecticut. I was in D.C. and moved to Connecticut. So it was a little bit crazy. So when Perry said, I got this great idea for a book, um, and she was about ready to go back to work, I thought, yeah, you know, I think I, I think I can do that. Sounds great. So that's actually what um, kind of launched for me after an agency role and a corporate role the last five years of being an entrepreneur. And um you know, that sole business person, kind of the president and the secretary all at the same time. Um, right, yeah. And it's, it's, been, it's been great. You know, it's been a really great, great opportunity to exercise a completely different set of skills that I have in writing a book, promoting it, running a business, writing a second book. So that's all been um, terrific. And it's quite interesting. You never quite know when you meet someone or when you make a change in your life what's going to happen. But had I not actually gone on to work with Perry, I don't think I'd be on the path I'm on right now. So I'm always very thankful and grateful for the opportunity to work with her and for, you know, to, to kind of launch this new um, opportunity together. Well, great. Oh, and, and I live, Stacey, I live, I live in, mm-hmm. yeah, in Glastonbury, Connecticut, outside, the, outside Hartford, the capital. Um, I have uh, twin daughters who are now almost 12. They're in sixth grade. Wow. Great fun, wonderful. Um, my lifestyle enables me to have, you know, breakfast and dinner with them almost every night once with my husband, which is great. Some people don't always think that's so great. Um, <laughs> we both work at home. And um, really love living in this um, 260-year-old house we live in on Main Street, USA, in a lovely little New England community. Oh, neat. And your second book is called Go Global, Launching an International Career Here or Abroad, and that came out this year. Is that correct? Yep, just a few months ago. Okay, great. Well, why don't we just dive right into the book because, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of meat here. And uh, just uh, I don't know how much Patty shared with you about me, but I spent the bulk of my corporate career in international as well and had just amazing opportunities that, uh, you know, that I wouldn't trade for anything. But I was not at all prepared um, nor necessarily the right choice for those jobs. And I, I say that simply to encourage anybody who thinks, oh, I don't speak a foreign language, or why would they pick me? I don't have an advanced degree. And I didn't have a college degree at all. And my first uh, international job was actually as managing director of Latin America for the Sabre division of American Airlines right after American bought the Eastern Airlines route. So I was just so blessed to be able to be part of the due diligence process of of that uh, acquisition. And and then I moved over uh, to a competing company that was owned by Delta Northwest and TWA and worked for Worldspan in their international business development group, uh, trying to do a merger between a company based in Singapore one that was based in in uh, both Spain, France, and Germany, and uh, of course our company in the U.S. So, and I then moved to a French-based uh, telecommunications company that had a presence in 230 plus countries. So, uh, spent my time trying to get all of those people to play nice together. Um, so, I've had just a ball in my career. But you know, one of the things that uh, intrigues me about your book is is really helping people understand this whole concept of fast-tracking your career. And if you've been, uh, you know, kind of moving along steadily, uh, you know, here in a a U.S. company that has a global presence, talk to us about fast-tracking your career and what that really means. Um, Well, okay, it's Perry, so I'll I'll start. I'm sure Stacey can uh, can add for sure. But, you know, what I really think it, it, it means is that in order to, if you think about what, when you grow, when you grow is when you face adversity, when you face change, uh, when you are challenged with things that have never been done, so you have to be able to solve it yourself. These are like the real growth opportunities. And so if you want to get ahead faster, you need to grow. Um, and you need to be able to demonstrate that you can grow and that you're flexible and that you can learn, uh, that you can take on more responsibility. Um, and the other thing is usually related to great reward is risk, 
So you got to be willing to, for example, do something other people might not be willing to do. You know, Stacy mentioned not everybody would have been willing to move to Asia the day after they got married. Uh, my first, uh, you know, my decision to move to Russia was on Christmas Eve. Uh, not everybody wanted to go to Moscow on Christmas Eve. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you just have to... You have to do things that make you stand out because one of the key things in a big corporation is you have to stand out. You have to get noticed. Um, and so, you know, if you're doing what everybody else is doing and you're following the same path and you're taking the safe route, the chances are that you're going to move up on the average pace. And that's even if you're good. Um, so you need to do something to differentiate yourself. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. But as I said, things that are risky, you know, things like turnarounds, things like, as you mentioned, acquisitions, things that are high-profile, difficult, challenging, other people uh, aren't raising their hand for them. All of those kinds of assignments not only, as I said, make you grow, but they also make you stand out. And I think that combination, if you succeed, uh, that combination is what lets you go fast because you have proven that however many years you have. I mean, I remember I went to Russia, I think I was like 29 years old. And they said, wait, you're going to let a 29-year-old American who has never been to Russia before and doesn't speak Russian run the company in Russia? Are you crazy? Um, <laughs> but, you know, the truth is that I had a lot of assets, um, and my time in Asia proved to them that I could go to a place where I knew nothing about it before I got there, where I could figure out then how do I uniquely add value. I could make it successful both for the companies I was representing, most of which were Western companies like Citibank and Unisys and um, DuPont and companies like that. So I could make it successful for them and I could make it successful for the local teams. And so with that background behind me and the beginning of a track record, they said, okay, you know, you're right. She probably could do Russia. You know, it, it, it's something that I had been interested in. I'd been actually a Russian lit major. I was a double lit major, actually. I never got uh, an advanced degree either. So everything I've learned, whether it's about M&A or tax laws or anything else, has been on the job and through what I've done on my own to educate myself. Um, and I've had, you know, obviously fabulous colleagues so that they have really helped. Because the one other thing I would say is if you're going to take a big risk, um, you need to do it. Uh, with transparency for your colleagues and your company. Because if you let people know, okay, these are the things I know I'm good at, these are the things I know I'm going to add value on, here's where I think I'm going to need some help. If you're willing to ask that, if you're willing to be transparent that you are not invincible, you don't know everything, then you're going to get the help you need in order to be able to make these big risks, big challenges, big growth opportunities successful. So, uh, again, I've gone on a little bit, but it is, I think, about the fast-track part of international is particularly, you know, 20 years ago when I went, there were not a lot of 25-year-old women from outside of Philadelphia who were raising their hand to go to Asia. Um, right. And the fact that I did it and then I succeeded and then I did Russia, which was, you know, I remember saying to the CEO when he came out to Asia, it was really funny. He said, so, Perry, how's it going out here? You know, are there any things that we can do to, you know, help you out, make you more successful? And I said, well, you know, I love Singapore. I love Asia. But it is, a, you know, it, in Singapore particularly, it is a little hot, it is a little small, and it is a little bit controlled. And I learned from this, be very careful what you ask for, because, of course, when the next, you know, three months later he comes back with Russia, I thought, okay, it's not small, it's not hot, and it's not <laughs> Control. So uh, you've got to be thinking about that. Even these side conversations that you're having with the CEO, they may remember them. Um, so oh, wow. anyway, that's what I would say. Oh, that's funny. Well, uh, Stacey, why don't uh, we move on to, to Chapter 2, which is, is going global right for you? And how do you know if you've never done it? Yeah. Well, that's actually a question that I, I'm asked all the time on, on campuses, and increasingly so. You know, I think that um, – uh, we're, people are growing up a little bit more global. So, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, it might have been a little less likely. But technology has made things a little bit more, uh, made us all a lot more closer. So actually that that helps a great deal. But um, we found um, that when we were doing our research with these hundreds of women that indeed um, we asked some questions. You know, how what kind of advice would you give um, others as they're trying to do it? Because 95% did say it is not right for everybody. Um, and so it's, you have to be really careful. And so we developed a little quiz, actually, of 10 um, questions that are later kind of adapted to about 15 for, for a little bit of a younger audience 
to figuring out things like, you know, answering questions such as, you know, do you thrive on challenges? You know, Perry talked about a lot of those. They're coming every day at you. Um, do you like being different? Do you like diversity? Do you mind not being alone? I mean, you're a good listener, communicator. Those kinds of things really can make a difference. Um, but you never really know until you get there. And that's one of the things that's most important. So any type of international experience that you can have beforehand um, is critical to figuring out if you do like it. People say, oh, well, I'd like to travel. Is that the same thing? Well, it's not the same thing. It'll help. No. <laughs> if, you like to, if, if you like to travel all over the place, um, you know, that's fabulous. But if you only like to travel in high-end hotels in Europe, but they're about to send you to, you know, a developing market in Western Africa, maybe like Ghana, it might not be the travel you like. So you really can't completely compare them. But if you do like to explore, if you do like new things, if there is the curiosity piece of you, um, then at least you, you know, you got a leg up on it. Um, other things, um, you know, other types of, of activities and things, have you volunteered abroad, worked abroad even a short time? Do you work on international teams? Are you, on, are you a part of global virtual teams? Do you work cross-culturally already? So there are a lot of things that you can ask yourself about your, you know, your daily life or your job right now. Is it just um, focused on the U.S., which a lot of jobs really does depend, but many more jobs are becoming much more global um, as the last few years have, have evolved in the global financial crisis hit and large, medium and large scale, even small companies have had to look beyond our borders. So people have naturally had to acclimate themselves to working cross-culturally and doing business internationally. Um, even in a small little way, it doesn't have to be that you pick up and move abroad. Um, I argue regularly that um, launching an international career does not mean you have to work, um, live abroad. Um, so many jobs today increasingly, um, like the ones that, that I have had and, and Perry has, that you actually live and work here in the U.S., but the nature of your job is global. So um, those are the kinds of things that you can ask yourself. But again, you don't really know until you've done it. Um, but also asking other people, I guess, similar people who know you, um, what they think about you and, and answering these questions yourself, this little quiz that we developed, but also asking somebody else to answer these questions for you because sometimes we have perceptions of ourselves which may or may not be exactly on target and people may give us really good feedback. So it's a very important question um, to figure out if it is right for you. But adding to your first question about, you know, the importance of it, fast-tracking, globalization is here, and increasingly people must be prepared to actually work internationally. Well, you know, in listening to both of your stories, um, uh, Chapter 3 goes into launching or, or landing an international assignment. And, you know, in both of your stories, you guys were uh, kind of in the right place at the right time, and you both put your hand up. So I, I know it's not always that easy. So if you don't happen to be in the room when an opportunity is being discussed, how do you insinuate yourself into the discussion that allows you even to set yourself up for consideration? I, I think it's a yeah. great question. I, I, I think uh, one of the things that I would say, and, and we and we do talk about it in the book, but there are really three things that I think that you want to be thinking about. And the first is, you know, as Stacey said, first of all, it is more ubiquitous now. If you're talking about a senior executive position in a multinational organization, whether that's an NGO or a government or, um, or you know, a multilateral or uh, a corporation, you need to have international experience. So there's more people who are, are going to be interested in it because they see it as a necessary thing, even if it wasn't their dream. But you need to be really clear when you start out what is your objective? Um, because it, it's kind of like the story of if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Um, I don't think it's a wise career move to simply just say, I want to get overseas no matter what. I think you need to understand what is it you're trying to achieve particularly. Um, the next thing that, that is once you figure out what you want, you know, is it money? Is it status? Is it a different cultural experience? Is it, you know, find your family roots? Is it... Um, you know, you want to try something that's never been done. You want to learn a foreign language. There's a bazillion reasons, all of which can help fast-track you. Um, but you need to really prioritize and be clear, what do you want? Why are you seeking this opportunity? The second thing I think that really then matters is you have to, even if you're not in the room, you need to let people know what you want. And so in your annual review, 
um, when you talk to uh, bosses and colleagues, et cetera. Um, make sure they know what you want. I mean, I can't speak for every company, but, you know, we're in, we're in what we call the MAP season right now, performance reviews right now at Kraft. Um, and there is a complete section of every single person's MAP review that says, are you mobile, where would you like to go, et cetera. Well, don't leave that blank. If you are serious about it, make sure that you not only fill that out and you say you are mobile, that you specify where you want to go, why you want to go, the kind of roles that you want to have. Um, there are lots of opportunities within your company. You can volunteer for projects that are global. Um, you can uh, go introduce yourself. And one of the things that I encourage young women in craft to do is go introduce yourself. A lot of the international team is based in headquarters. Go ask one of them to have a cup of coffee with you. This is not going to be a big thing. They will say yes. Um, so there's a lot of ways that you just, before an opportunity even arises, you set the frame that everybody knows you're interested. And that's what, you know, whether it's through networking, you gather intelligence, everything else. Uh, and then the next thing, uh, I think really, um, once you've decided what you want, uh, you've kind of put yourself out there um, in the informal ways, then I also think there is kind of formal marketing. You know, start reading the, pla reading, um, the job interviews for the places that you want to be. Start um, making sure that you are hanging out in groups. They have tons of professional groups that are specifically for uh, you know, kind of uh, expat groups, go hang out with foreigners. I mean, it sounds crazy, but the truth is that a lot of jobs still come through that kind of network, and you can find out what's available. And it may be in your current organization. That's ideal for a lot of people, but it may be that you actually change organizations. So I think it's know what you want, uh, kind of look at your network, and then really market yourself and set yourself up for success before any specific opportunity even arises. Yeah, and if I can add to that, because I think that's a great a great summary of it, uh, the point that the Perry was alluding to in the past, kind of like doing the networking and, and gathering information is what I say, and it ties back to what the very first comment she said, which is um, why is it that you want to go? So you can't, in, in the past, many times, maybe Perry and I were the only ones who had our hands up. Now a lot more people have their hands up because they know they need it. So you really have to do your research as to where are the markets growing? Where is your business growing? Where are the industries, the sectors? Where's the growth that's happening? Maybe not today, but maybe in a year or two years from now, a little bit out. And what makes you special? What skills do you have that you can bring to the table to actually help grow the business? That kind of yeah, research, networking, and combination marketing, which are all the things that Perry said can really help drive um, you know, an assignment overseas. Yeah, and the world is changing so much. I mean, I've got a sixth grader, and or he'll be in sixth grade next year, and we took him uh, to visit a uh, magnet school this week that we would like for him to go to that's an all-boys school. And uh, my daughter is going into high school, and at the high school they teach just um, Spanish, French, and Latin. And I go into his middle school, and they said, well, we teach uh, French, Spanish, and Mandarin. <laughs> it's like... Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, but that really is the harbinger of, of where we're going and that, you know, kids are going to come out of school with already five or six years of some of these languages before they even go to college. So I think, you know, ten years from now, this discussion, they they might almost laugh at it because they have been raised in such a global environment. So you guys both mentioned, you know, kind of the importance of the spouse and family support and, you know, did you get, uh, you know, Stacey, I know you were just getting married, but did you get full buy-in or was there a, a sense that, oh, this will never really happen, so it's okay if I say yes, and then, you know, oh, my God, now we're going. So, you know, how, do, how does that play out? And so before we get to Chapter 4, which is Ready, Set, Go, and Now What Do I Do?, how, how do you handle the family and friends aspect of, of wanting to make this kind of a move? Well, with, specifically with respect to a spouse, um, um, once I met my husband, which I, I met in D.C. when we um, dated or so for, a, for three years before we went, our first trip six months after we met was to Nepal for three and a half weeks. So we knew he was really into the international, and he worked um, at a think tank that did forestry and sustainable issues, sustainability issues throughout oh, Asia. Good. He was a big Asia fan, um, but he would have gone anywhere. He lived in Sweden for two years um, earlier in his career, so he was all for it. When I told him about the options, I had two options uh, offers on the table, Hong Kong or Argentina. 
um, you know, we were weighing the odds between the two, but it was always a definite, definite, I'm going to do it, yeah, yep, we're, mm. we're going for it, and that's wonderful. Once we got there, though, um, he loved it, it was great, but it's hard, you know, for, um, it's hard for a lot of reasons, um, living abroad. I mean, there are all kinds of fabulous things that we talk about, and it is a lot of fun, and it is growth opportunity, but also be, can be kind of lonely. And um, spousal unhappiness is the number one reason still for why assignments actually don't turn out very well. Mostly it's, um, it happens to be women. Um, I happen to have taken a husband, yes. Um, but it's a lot, and it's increasingly, you know, the, it's shifting, thankfully, as, it, as all things are in, in women's favor in that way. But um, uh, it's tough because rather than being able to hang out with a whole bunch of guys, um, they're all um, expat wives there, you know, who had, you know, a very different lifestyle than he had or he wanted to have. Um, right. So humor is a really important thing, so that was kind of hard for him. So I think it's it's a very important question to ask yourself and your spouse and your partner, what's it like, what are the roles for that person coming with you? Um, in that country because they are all so individual and there are stereotypes that exist, um, male and female and different types of relationships. Um, and so it's really important to investigate where it is that you're going um, on that on that front. And with respect to, um, like, family and friends and stuff, I was brought up, thankfully, to be independent as a traveler and a free thinker. So I, um, my family was just like, well, oh, well, of course, you know, we didn't expect anything else from you, you know, to do something kind of crazy and different that, none of us had done so um but it is hard it's hard on it's hard when someone gets sick it's hard when you miss you know birthdays or special events and you can't always go back to them especially asia is so very far away um from you know the east coast of the united states where i'm from so definitely important things to to consider to ask many companies involve the spouses or the partners um in the decisions um and one woman actually that, that we interviewed for the book um diane Goyas, who's a, a senior um, leader at DuPont um, said when she went in for her interviews, they actually asked to have requested her husband come in with her because they thought she was actually doing these interviews kind of like behind his back and not including him because no man would possibly <laughs> accompany a woman, which is kind of funny. So every company handles it differently, and I think we've evolved um, since, since those. But it's an important question. Well, I would be remiss if I, did, I didn't mention uh, the format of your book before we uh, kind of plow through the rest of this. And I, I know we've uh, delved in pretty deeply. Chapter four uh, is one that if you are considering uh, taking an international assignment, I wish we could spend like a whole hour on this chapter because it's so amazing. But one of the things that um, that Perry and Stacy have done in writing their book is you know, kind of lay the groundwork for the topic. And, and then they've got a number of checklists, a number of examples, and then they have a section called Making It Real, which are the personal stories um, that, that really bring it home so you're not talking theoretically. So, Perry, what was your favorite story uh, about kind of the realities of, of actually going abroad, whether it's your own story or someone that you guys interviewed for the book? You know, there. <laughs> Stacey said humor is important, and I would say, yeah, and make that double if you want to live in a foreign culture. Um, because the, the number of misunderstandings by culture, by language, whatever, um, are, are just huge. And, and in the moment, they can be quite embarrassing or difficult um, or, or painful, but uh, they make really funny stories um, after, after the fact. And so... Um, I'll just tell you one of the stories that um, I've had. It happens to be one of mine, but it's one that I've had a lot of people um, kind of uh, chuckle over, and they can remember it uh, very easily. And I bet Stacy can even guess which story it's going to be. But it's, it's, um, my, it's, it's my favorite. I know what she's going to say before she said. It's my favorite story, too, and I use it, I use it everywhere. <laughs> you guys are so, so funny. Finishing so each other's sentences, I'm sure. <laughs> so I will, be, I will be admitting, you know, public humiliation at my own expense and the humor of it all. So I'm not saying this is a substantive example, but it's a real example, and it is exactly the kind of thing that happens that you have to pick yourself up and keep on going. So, um, you know, very early on when I got to Singapore, I was, I was about 25 years old, 26 years old. Um, you know, everything I knew about Singapore when I accepted the job was basic. I'd never been there, uh, knew nothing about Asia. You know, I grew up in a completely unlike Stacy's family. My family could not believe that I was actually leaving the East Coast, let alone leaving the country. And, and when I called and said, hey, I think I'm taking a job in Singapore, it was kind of like, Singa, what? What, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> 
And because uh, my whole family had spent 300 years in the same town in Philadelphia since William Penn got there. So they, they were not a very adventuresome uh, group in terms of, of branching out. Um, but I love them as I do. So so it was really interesting. I got to Singapore. I was, uh, as I said, young, knew nothing about the place. Um, my first client happened to be a Brit. Um, and uh, we had just done a big pitch, and, and uh, we had um, – um, had a, a tremendous success at this. It was like a trade show or whatever that we had done for him. So the press releases had gone well and the trade show had gone well. And he said, hey, let's all go out and get some drinks. And I thought, oh, this is great. You know, and this is, of course, back when client agency relationships, you actually did have drinks together. This was kind of part of what you did. So right. uh, so we all went out. I was the only woman on the team, which has been like for most of my career. I think my name did help in that regard because people didn't realize I was a girl until I showed up. Um, but uh, but I was the only girl on the team, and we were all at this uh, long bar, and it was a wooden long bar, and they had uh, a jukebox uh, in the bar, and on the ju- we're all sitting there having some drinks, and on the jukebox then comes this music, and it happens to be something by a group called the Chairman of the Board. Now I went to UVA, so University of Virginia, and I used to uh, regularly. Uh, do a dance there. I had a, a regular dance partner, and we would, you know, uh, kind of teach dance and whatever else. And it was called shagging. Um, and right. so I, uh, so this music came on, and I said, "Oh my God!" I said, "I love this music. I used to shag to this music all the time in college." And suddenly, my client is looking at me like, "What? Did, what did you just say?" And oh, I said, "Oh yeah." No. I said, "I said, God." I said, "I had no idea." I said, "Do you shag?" I said, "I, I love it." I said, "I could teach you some moves, right?" You know, also. <laughs> Okay, I'm going oh, on no. and on I'm... about how much I love to shag, how I used to get paid in school to teach people oh, to shag, all this kind no. of stuff. Well, so my client is just looking, and they're, and they're beginning to think, okay, she really doesn't have any clue what she's talking about. And then the guy, and I said, hey, you know, do you want to shag right now? And, and so the guy, there's a guy like three seats over from my client who's watching this conversation, also a Brit, and is just like really incredulous that I, this 25-year-old reasonably attractive woman, is like telling this guy all about what a great shagger I am, and this guy is not taking me up on my offer. Uh, and he leans forward and goes, hey, honey, if he won't shag with you, I will. And, oh, and then the no. client, at this point, he's feeling so badly for me because, you know, he's like beat red. He doesn't know what to do. This is, you know, a middle-aged married man. He's like, he said, um, in, in England, and he explained to me, of course, what shagging does mean in the British vernacular. Right. Um, and so basically here I was, my very first big client in Asia, and I'd basically been saying, hey, I'm great at having sex. I used to teach people to have sex. Would you like to have sex? <laughs> That's what he was hearing as I was sitting there talking to him. Well, you can imagine that once he explained to me what that meant, I, you know, I blush from the toes up, and, I, and I'm a redhead, and I was probably just absolutely we just read beyond belief, and uh, and oh, he laughed. I mean, he laughed it off and whatever. But I just thought, oh God, the amount of things that I don't know. So um, that was one of my favorite, you know, early on cultural misunderstandings. And from that day, I basically told my British friends back at the office, I say, okay, I want the top ten list of things that you guys say that is different than what I would say so that I do not make that mistake again. And, and thankfully they gave it to me because there were two or three others on there. I would have walked right into that problem too had I not actually gotten the tips. Oh, that is so funny. That is so funny. I, I, I We did something similar uh, actually on our honeymoon. We had been in Brazil, and we had already been there for 13 days, and we were at a resort, and somebody asked how the food was. And, you know, we did the thumbs up. And found out that that means, uh, you know, pretty much the same thing as the middle finger uh, does here when you give it to somebody. And I thought, how many times over the last 13 days have I done that? And I was managing director of Latin America. A good part of that was spent in Brazil. And I thought, how many months have I been doing this and no one has told me? So yeah, that that's that's a biggie. Well, we we are running out of time, but I I want to just kind of lay out the rest of the book for our listeners and and let you guys just you know comment generally about kind of the progression from here to what you talk about at the end of the book. So the next chapter is about being good to yourself. The the chapter number six is the first year on the job, surviving and delivering. Year two and beyond is chapter seven, distinguishing yourself. 
and then Chapter 8, ensuring a successful return. Because I, I guess we don't all want to be banished, you know, to the hinterlands forever and never actually make it back to headquarters so that people can realize how much we've accomplished. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things, and I'll just jump in here. I think there are a couple of really important points um, that I'd like to, to make sure um, we talk about. One is culture shock, and that it does happen. We talked a little bit about kind of preparing yourself, and Perry just gave a fabulous example of, of kind of uh, kind of cross-cultural snafus that can occur. Um, but cross-cultural um, culture shock is real. It happens to everybody. Some people say, oh, it's not going to happen to me or I'll stay. But it happens but, in both directions, right, going out yeah, and coming that, home. And, Absolutely, and that's, that's the point that I want to make. So, one, when you go over there, it's great, and it is almost it is the same um, psychological experience, although the you know kind of the ramifications I think are a little bit different. But you know, the up, the down. I remember getting there. I'm like, oh, this is so exciting, and this is fabulous. I was on a high for months, and then I made my first mistake, and I went down really. And I'm like, you know, screaming. I wanted to run screaming to the airport, get me out of here. I don't want to. You know, what am I doing to myself? Maybe I'm screwing up my career, you know. Then you go back up and go down, and eventually it kind of gets to be not so much EKG-like, you know, way up and way down, but a little bit steadier. Um, but it's really important to read up on it, talk to people about it. Um, I like to recommend people get um, an angel, kind of a local angel and an international angel, so somebody actually who, um, on the ground, who you can trust to know, who is who is local, not somebody who's just been there for 20 years. Um, but somebody who actually understands the local culture at, culture as an insider and has the guts and the courage to um, kind of ask, answer your questions and tell you when you've screwed up. It took me a year and a half to find someone on my team, 15 months to do that, and she's still one of my best friends today. And she's um, Hong Kong Chinese, helped me through tons of issues. And the other is someone who actually is somewhat more like you. And even though I tried to, as an American, I thought I could work with a Brit, it didn't work the same, you know, because there's still cultural differences there. So even though you're kind of Western and different, you still don't experience it the same way. And they can really help you through this because it can be very traumatic um, because when you make mistakes, they can be very big and um, you don't always know exactly how big they are and maybe you're making them bigger than that. But anyway, it's really important to um, appreciate that. And when you do return... That is um, a really difficult thing that many people do underestimate. There's still not a lot of research um, on it. Um, so it comes, it comes back, and even they're finding out that students who study abroad for six, nine, or 12 months experience it. But it's um, culture shock in reverse. You do enter a new market, and you, you think it's kind of going to be the same. You're, you're or not going to be the same because you're different, but everyone is kind of the same, and you've changed dramatically. People don't really know how to deal with you. You don't know how to really deal with them. You talk about where you've been, and two or three minutes later, they change the topic, and hey, you know, so-and-so is having a burger party. Or it's, it's, it's quite a bizarre experience and very lonely, and you think, these people don't care. These people are dumb. These people, I was asked, because I spent three years in Hong Kong, do you speak Japanese? I'm like, oh, my God, you know, don't these people look at a map? This is Washington, really? D.C., and these are educated people. And so it can be, again, very lonely, and you go through that same cycle, and the best thing to do is to actually find someone else who has gone through it so you can actually, you know, run into your office and close the door behind you and call them and say, I can't believe that this person just said this to me. What do I do? And they can actually walk you off the ledge because it can also be very difficult because, again, everybody is different. Uh, everybody's the same, and you are the one person who's different. And um, Right. Who, right. But that, this circles back to the beginning of our conversation, though, that one of the reasons why you do this is to grow, <laughs> and the the uh, the consequences of that growth is that you need to surround yourself with people who you know who are also wanting to grow. And I, I think perhaps even even that circle of friends may may change, which is why you know again I think that reentry can be so very very hard. And you know I remember many of the same stories. You know I would tell people where I had been. I you know like I think. Eight times in twelve weeks, I flew over to Dubai, and you know, and, and no one knew where Dubai was. This was actually before, you know, a lot of the Gulf War activity, and and uh, you know, I, they didn't even know it was in the Gulf. So, um, yeah, you you really have to change uh, change your whole orientation, but it's worth it, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's absolutely. that's what that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, my my final comment to everybody would be, you know. Every single experience in life that has been the most 
rewarding, the most growth, the most meaningful, whatever, all of those words combined. And and I say that about marriage, which to me has been a huge blessing and a huge challenge uh, and, and just I would never trade it. Motherhood, same thing. I mean, just amazing, but boy, not easy. Um, it's the same with this. And, and I guess what I would say is, you know, my, my motto is life is not a spectator sport. So, you know, if you're going to get one ride, you better go for the gusto. And I always right. ask myself, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen here? You know, you take an international job, you go over there, the absolute worst thing that could happen is that you fail and you come home. But trust me, even in that, you will have learned so much about you and about other things. You will always be better off for it. So I just would say it is a phenomenal growth opportunity. Growth is never without pain, but there's none of those big experiences in life that when you get done you would ever want to give up. I know very few people who say, gosh, I wish I had never gotten married, done that trip, climbed Mount Everest, been a mom, whatever. But, boy, there are moments in those experiences, you know, over the years or over the months where you're thinking, oh, dear God, do I have to keep going? Please, can I reconsider? Um, So I would just say, you know, weather the tough parts and, and be bold. You know, take a shot. Make sure you understand what the downside is. But usually the downside is very manageable and the upside is big. Mm. Well, any any other final comments before we wrap up? No, I I I I totally agree with Perry what Perry was saying, but I would like to emphasize the importance I think of foreign language too, which you mentioned a little bit about this magnet school, and it's great that there is one. We don't have enough focus, I think, on global fluency in the American mm-hmm. culture. I live in a school district that's been teaching Russian for fifty three years. It teaches Arabic. Um, Spanish, French, German, Latin, ancient Greek, all of the phenomenal. It's the reason we moved here. But not everybody's the same. And Congress doesn't always go to support, I think, the importance right. of foreign language learning, cross-cultural learning. And I think if anyone at all is interested in this, in, this, in this subject, we really have to help prepare our children. Because people like Perry and I and you, Chicky, we're going to do it. But other people don't know how to do it. We really need to help the next generation coming up to actually um, understand and appreciate globalization because they will have to deal with it. Right. It's not a not going to be a, a choice. Yeah, and, you know, and I mean, I mentioned that I that I wasn't fluent in anything. I mean, and and the the funny thing was, I had taken Spanish in high school because we we didn't really. I, I'm not even sure. I think German was the other language because I lived in Milwaukee and that that made sense there. Um, but my mother and father, well, my father had been born in Brazil and had, his family had been missionaries there, and so he didn't come back to the States until he came to college. So he, he grew up speaking Portuguese and then came, you know, had to study English, of course. And then my parents became missionaries in Portugal, so they both spoke Portuguese. And so I spoke this awful mixture of Portugal, and I remember going into a sandwich shop, I think it was in Buenos Aires, and, and ordering what ended up being a, a ham and soap sandwich, right? Because I, I said, um, you know, instead of queso for cheese, I said the word for soap. And, you know, so I I, I always just hung, hung back and didn't even try to speak. But I remember being in a meeting uh, with uh, Avianca Airlines in Colombia and, and Ledeck, or uh, another airline was there as well. And all day long we were talking about a joint venture and we were speaking in English, but they would have their side conversations in Spanish. And about 1 o'clock in the afternoon they said something in Spanish and I said, no, that's not exactly right. And they realized that all day I'd been able to understand at least a portion of what they said and it really unnerved them, but it worked to my advantage. So, you know, again, I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right that it, it really is more the cultural fluency uh, issues, I think, that, that uh, are really the problematic things. The language is something that if you have any desire to learn, you know, there's so many tools now that you can use to learn. Uh, and, uh, you know, just using the time you have, whether it's a, a long commute in the car or whatever. So um, before we sign off, why don't you guys uh, tell our listeners the best way to learn more about getting ahead uh, by going abroad, and, and again, the book is "Get Ahead by Going Abroad: A Woman's Guide to Fast Track Career Success." Is there a website that they can go to? There is a website. There, there is. Um, yep. Go ahead, Stace. And it is getaheadbygoingabroad.com. Um, <laughs> well, how so clever we, is that? You guys must be in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yes, yeah, so this there. Um, I have to confess, um, um, I, I am always not always that fast to, to update it to update it always, but there is a link from that site um, to the blog, which actually I um, do most of the blogging for, because as I said, in this last kind of five years, I've been um, writing, speaking, and doing different consulting in this space. And so at stacyberdan.com, there's a link um, between the two. Get ahead by going abroad.com and TC with an IE, berdan.com. Has a lot of information, blogs, um, things that Perry and I have done together. So both of those. The book right. is still available. Get Ahead by Going Abroad is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, all um, bookstores. If they don't have it in stock, you can ask to um, order it. We're going to try to come out with a paperback sometime next year um, and an audio right. version as well, so stay tuned on that. Um, and then um, my second book, Go Global, Launching an International Career Hero Abroad, is just an e-book. Uh, and it's only five bucks. I wrote it specifically for young people so they could afford it. Okay. Um, someone compared it to Cheaper Than a Cocktail, and a cocktail with all my friends, um, and Perry actually has um, some uh, multimedia video links in there as well as uh, several other people. So those are oh, some of the contact great. information. Well, and you I'm can gonna, get to us mm-hmm. by email through those sites as well. Our emails are okay, and, and our egg members um, are going to be able to get in touch with you just through our egg private platform because Patty, uh, you know, creates a record that has all of your contact information. We also have your book available on our Executive Girlfriends Group book site, uh, which is powered by Amazon. And uh, I am going to speak on on Cecilia's behalf, but I bet she's just chomping at the bit to get off of mute and ask you guys if you'll come back and talk to our Next Generation Leader Group because. Um, you know, those uh, many of them have more flexibility than those of us who have, you know, tons of family obligations and, you know, kind of taking care of the, the next generation uh, uh, as well as, as our parents. And uh, so, Cecilia, actually, Patty does the scheduling uh, with Cecilia, so I will let her get back in touch with you guys. But I know that our, uh, our next gen leaders would like to talk to you. You took the words right out of your mouth, Chicky. Absolutely. (laughs) I figured, Cecilia. (laughs) All right. Well, it is uh, just about 530, and uh, we've actually kept you guys longer than I'm sure Patty told you we would. But like I said, I could go on and on and on about this topic. Uh, Global businesses is a a passion of mine. And, and Perry, I want to talk to you separately about the giving stuff. And, and, I mean, I I just would love to have a – a sidebar chat with with both of you. So um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the recorded portion. I'm going to take us uh, off of uh, the recording, and then if, if Cecilia would like to ask any other questions, I'll let her do that. Hang on just one second. And for more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, our listeners can go to www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com.